News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. It's a controversy that continues to go on and on. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the forced landing of a Ryanair civilian commercial flight and the subsequent arrest of a journalist on board by Belarus was a, quote, clear attack on democracy that must be met by action. Now, those comments came right before Belarus says it's going to shutter its embassy in Canada and other Western countries are weighing sanctions and cutting links with the country of Belarus. Let's get an update on what is happening here now. Joining us is Amanda Conley, our global news political reporter in Ottawa. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk a bit about this. So those are some pretty strong words by the prime minister yesterday. Absolutely. We, we certainly were uh, expecting to hear something from him yesterday on this, I think is fair to say, but this, these certainly were, as you were saying, they're strong words. And again, it comes amid this really significant um, challenge for not just, uh, of course, Canada, but also um, the, the West and the European Union writ large, as they try and figure out how to respond to this uh, this this forced landing of a civilian aircraft in order to detain one of the journalists who was on board. So we know that this uh, this individual was uh, played a very significant role in the protests last year in Belarus, and so of course this is this is causing a lot of concern. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it. Now, how have other countries been responding as well? Canada's not alone in this, are they? No, absolutely not. We've seen, a re- again, um, when, when I kind of talk here about um, Canada uh, weighing in here along with the West and Europe, I mean, this is a really broad um, response across all democratic countries. Effectively, we've seen the U.S. weigh in condemning this, calling for the journalist release. The European Union, in particular, has really been taking the lead on this one. Uh, the European Council met on Monday evening. They have been focusing on uh, on whether there should be more sanctions imposed. They have already banned uh, Belarusian aircraft from uh, landing and uh, landing and and um, coming into European uh, European airports. We've also seen a number of recommendations uh, as well uh, as as Western Airlines saying that they're no no longer going to fly over um, the airspace in Belarus because of concerns about this. We saw Canada advising Canadian airlines not to do so yesterday to no longer fly over that airspace. We saw a number of European carriers saying that they're going to avoid that as well now. And this really, we're seeing kind of this taking shape in terms of aiming at the um, the, the economic well-being and the economic interests of Belarus, who, with, of course, they make money. Every time an aircraft comes through their airspace, they charge for that. So really going after that, that kind of financial bite. Right. Now, is that having an impact? Because the person that we're talking about who's in charge there, Lukashenko in Belarus, has been there for, what, 25 years? A very, very long time. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And that's part of what makes this so difficult is that you're dealing with an individual who uh, I think it's 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 difficult to overstate the degree of repression in Belarus right now. Uh, we've seen roughly 35,000 people arrested since the protests against uh, Lukashenko last year. There was, of course, an election that was highly criticized um, by democratic countries as rigged uh, that he he claims to have won last year that prompted those pro-democracy protests. And so, of course, we're, we're seeing really this this difficult balancing act of how do you impose enough pressure to try and get Belarus to release this journalist without also forcing them closer uh, towards Russia, who, of course, we know are, are um, really working to expand their sphere of influence across Eastern Europe and, and cultivate uh, more allies in that sphere. Did the prime minister, did the government have any reaction to the potential closing of the uh, embassy in Ottawa? 
Not uh, not much. We do know that uh, for for Canadians or, or um, you know dual citizens and things like that um, of Belarus who are in Canada, they will still be able to get consular services and all of that uh, that that access through the embassy in New York. They will handle the um, the the applications and, and and that kind of thing. Canada does not have an embassy in Belarus itself. Our all of our affairs are handled by uh, embassies in other countries. Canadian embassies in other countries. And so we're really looking kind of here um, at, at what other avenues are available to Canada to pursue uh, putting pressure on here. So we're looking at the UN, we're looking at, we heard Trudeau mention NATO as well, of course, which we know is a, has a significant uh, military involvement in uh, deterrence to Russia across Europe. Also looking at the International Civil Aviation Organization, which is based in Montreal. We know Canada will be taking part in an emergency meeting of that group later this week to try and figure out what to do and how to move forward here. The the forced downing of this plane, uh, of course, does seem to violate the really foundational charter of that organization, which, of course, Belarus is party to when it comes to governing civilian aviation. So we're looking at a lot of uh, potential Again, rules that have been broken here and yeah. really important, um, important institutions at play. All right. Thank you for the update, Amanda. Thank you. This is Mornings with Simi. You know, the day we were talking about streaming services and how many of them you have, wondering which one you could live without. Well, it turns out Amazon wants to make it a little bit more difficult for you to not have Amazon, actually. For more on that, we're joined by Raji Sohal, our contributor this morning. Morning, Raji. Hi, Simi. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I guess you can't get rid of your Amazon Prime membership now. Amazon is just uh, taking up more and more chunks of the (laughs) entertainment industry. Yeah, no kidding. This morning, actually just announced about 20 minutes ago or so, Amazon is buying MGM. This is a 97-year-old film and television studio. And here's the thing, Raji, the amount of money that they're spending, $8.45 billion. And that is about 40% more than companies like Apple or Comcast even thought MGM was worth. Apparently, it's been up for sale for like a year. Other huge companies thought about buying it just because of all the movies and television production you know they would have. And other even Apple was like, yeah, that's a bit too much money. And Amazon said, I'll pay it. And they bought it. Yeah, I wonder what's lost when we when we lose a you know a, a company that's been around for that long and and their culture that they would have had in the company and whatnot. Like Amazon bought Whole Foods. You may recall a couple of years ago, a few years ago, twenty seventeen, and Whole Foods changed drastically, and their company culture changed, and that's when we started to see a lot more reports of employees complaining about. That's um, true losing certain labor rights and finding it hard to uh, join union and that kind of thing. So, oh, it's kind of sad, I think. And they wanted the library, right? They have to put stuff. I mean, we've become voracious consumers of everything online because of the pandemic and just watching more TV at home. So everything from James Bond to Rocky to Lord of the Rings now is all going to be, uh, by the way, Amazon is making a Lord of the Rings TV series. Did you know this? I heard that. Do you know how much money yeah. they're spending on this? Like, it is an outrageous amount. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. $450 million for the first season alone. It's Just, And it's like, ooh. we already saw the movies. Like, how do yeah. we need to see this again? <laughs> Recreate everything over and over and over again. A recreation that I just heard about is another... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory focused again on no. Willy Wonka. And we just don't need another one except uh, Timothée Chalamet 
uh, is going to play Willy Wonka. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the original was Gene Wilder because the first mm-hmm. one is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The remake was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which is what the book oh. was because I was a big fan of the book. The original mm-hmm. Roald Dahl book is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But That's my right. kids and you know and myself too, the Gene Wilder version, the first one, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, is a classic. It's perfection, and also to note, it's not appropriate for two and four year olds. No, it's not. too trippy. Way. Too trippy. <laughs> <Very> recently, <laughs> my kids did not get it. So about a, a quarter of the way into it, I thought mm, maybe we'll watch something else. Yeah, it's creepy. I don't know why they decide to redo things. What is this like an origin story? I'm sure that's what they always tell you. Yeah, they do. But I would like to just see. I, I like to see the classics remain classics. Like Mr. Rogers got turned into a show called Daniel Tiger, which anyone with young kids that's listening will know all about, know a little too much about. And Mr. Rogers was perfection the way it was. So no, you were not. See we're not touched. starting this right, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Dress Up. Roger and I've been having an argument off the air about Mr. Dress Up versus Mr. Rogers. I'm a Mr. Dress Up fan. Raji is a Mr. Rogers fan. And you know what? I'm just going to leave it at that right now, Raji. Because one of the other things we were going to talk about today <laughs> is I had to address the lotto situation. It's $65 million for the big draw uh, to the 28th, so two days from now. Do you buy lottery tickets? I do on my birthday. On your birthday, which mm-hmm. is when? Oh my goodness, so much information. March 28th. Oh, Am I going to regret having it. said that That's on That's right. Well, it's a long ways away. Don't worry about it. We just we just missed it. How much money would it take for you to win in the lottery for you to quit your job? Oh. The job that you just days? started. This job that you just started. How long would it yeah. take? Yeah. And I live in Vancouver where like a million exactly. things. So um, five million. Are you sure about that? Yeah. So five if you million. want five million dollars, spare five million dollars right no, now. No, no, no. I was thinking. I'm not sure five million. Like you know, you've got kids and you want to well, quit. You're do, young. Yeah, yeah. Five million wouldn't like get me anywhere. But what I would do is not quit fully. I would just go down to four days. Hmm. Is that allowed, or do you mean quit entirely? Yeah, I guess. I look. I'm thinking quit entirely. For instance, Maureen oh, okay. wrote me. Maureen wrote me, and she million. said. <laughs> Maureen wrote me to say I would quit my job if I won $50,000 she said seriously wow. that's all it would take she said but I have a job not a career she said I would try and start my own business maybe look for a fun part-time job she said I don't have kids though so I have a bit more freedom to do what I want you go Maureen 50000 that's all it would take for Maureen 50, to quit everything $50,000 drop in the bucket not even well see if, even if I had $20 million, I would ask to still keep the gig but you don't have to pay me no, you can't do that. Does that no. qualify? No, no, you're that's too much of a Pollyanna. You can't do that. Okay, what would it take you? Oh, take me ten. ten. I've thought about this. Yeah, this is why I'll never win the lottery. <laughs> yeah. because no I've hesitation. <laughs> yeah, would take ten. Five. I would still keep on working. Ten. I'd say, see ya. I'm out of here. Okay. Nothing comfortably. <laughs> now I got to buy a lottery ticket because that's coming up. I feel as though this morning, though, Raji, that there is um, more of a sense. People do feel like they've won the lottery with this reopening plan, don't they? Kind of. You know what I think it feels more like? You've scratched the ticket and the numbers look right, but something is off. That's what it's like for me. I was not celebrating yesterday when I watched uh, the press. Well, just 
I felt for Bonnie Henry and I felt for all of us. It was just too much, too sudden. I feel uh, some of the anxiety that a lot of people have been tweeting about, in particular with BC Hug Day. I saw this one tweet that said, when does my age cohort register for an exemption from BC Hug Day? I thought that too. (laughs) And someone wrote, will BC Hug Day be compulsory? Please no. (laughs) I could understand. I was saying that this morning to Gord McDonald. I was like, I don't know about that. That might be going a little too fast, too far right away. But I I feel like after the second dose, I will feel elation. But right now, I'm just, uh, I'm very hesitant about all of these openings. Huh, interesting. So you are, but you're looking ahead to the schedule, right? You look at the reopening plan, and are you planning perhaps get-togethers in the summer? I'm not thinking that far ahead. I'm surprised that we're going to be able to gather indoors as soon as we are, and um, it'll be weird, really strange to not wear a mask all the time anymore. I think it's just going to take some time to get used to it. It was welcome news, welcome news for sure. But you're cautious. Yeah. You're a little cautious. bit apprehensive for sure. And and Bonnie Henry did uh, mention that you know this fall we might right. see a resurgence, and so that that to me made me think, hey, let's enjoy what we can while we can. All right, we'll see how people feel about that. Are you like, Raji, a little apprehensive, a little cautious? Or you're like, no, let's do this. You can email me, simmy at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. One of the industries that has been hit the hardest with the slowest restart is, of course, our tourism industry in BC. Now, the second step in our restart plan is set for June the 15th at the earliest, provided we hit all the other markers. That is once 65% of the adult population has received one dose of COVID-19 vaccine, and the number of cases and hospitalizations continues to go down. Step two includes outdoor social gatherings with a maximum of 50 people, some seated indoor gatherings. But also in step two, travel restrictions within BC will be lifted and people will be encouraged to travel across the province. What does that mean for the summer in the tourism industry here in our province? Well, Vivek Sharma joins us now, Chair of the Tourism Industry Association of BC. Vivek, thank you for being back with us. Thank you for having me again, Simi. Good morning. Good morning. And how are you feeling today, given everything you heard yesterday? I think the announcements are, are really a great first step in the right direction. Uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry was cautiously optimistic, and so is the industry. Uh, you know, we, we, we've been advocating for a plan, and now we have a plan which will help our operators plan. And, and more importantly, there is something for everybody in our province to see uh, and uh, motivate them to keep getting vaccinated and keep doing the right thing because there is hope and light at the end of the tunnel now. So does that mean, do you think it's going to be one of those, you know, quote, beautiful BC summers, as in vacation in your province? Absolutely, it'll be based on what uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry has said. Now, we do need to remember that, uh, you know, as you said, that, you know, vaccination percentages need to keep going up, case numbers need to keep declining. And uh, as much as we are hopeful and optimistic, there are also things which uh, can happen, which can, you know, if we don't hit those vaccination percentages or the numbers don't decline, uh, we could be where we are today. But what does it mean for the tourism industry? How much of a, a reopening uh, can we see? What will it mean to tourism businesses if it's just people vacationing within BC? 
it, it, it's a good first step. We all know that there's still a lot more work needs to be done. Um, there is more clarity that is needed on large gatherings, meetings, conferences, uh, and extremely importantly, on reopening of our borders. And as much as it's a federal uh, jurisdiction, uh, the provinces can, uh, you know, uh, can throw in their weight behind helping making those decisions. And uh, tourism as an industry globally cannot survive by just domestic tourism. Uh, and, and we are not unique in that perspective. So we need the movement of um, free movement of people all across the globe. And uh, we will continue to advocate for that. Right. So you're saying you're looking ahead then to like, will, will the domestic market reopening help you? Because that looks like it's happening on July 1st. Absolutely. It'll be a big help. Uh, but we also know that, uh, you know, in the fall, in the spring, uh, in the winter, our winter destinations in BC, they also rely a big percentage on um, on international travel, uh, on uh, larger events, conferences. So all those things need to gradually start coming back. So should operators then be preparing for that? Like we're talking about hiring staff and getting everything up and running again. Are they ready to do all that? Yes, I think, you know, as, as an industry, this is one of the reasons we were advocating for a plan like this, because now uh, there are some hard markers on the ground, there are some dates in the ground, and if we all keep playing our part and keep hitting those uh, key requirements, um, things will start happening. So businesses can now plan that, you know, on 15th of June, uh, this is what is supposed to be happening. So how do I get my business ready to, to hit that spot? So, Vivek, what does that mean for hotels reopening in downtown Vancouver? Because right now there are very few hotels that are open. Some of the biggest remain closed. What can we know? What do we know about them potentially reopening? I think it's still very early days. It's less than 24 hours since Dr. Bonnie Henry introduced this plan. So each hotel, each business will actually look at it, how it impacts them. We do need to remember that um, downtown Vancouver hotels also rely on on big conferences and events, and uh, they are not coming back initially. Uh, but you know, we are cautiously optimistic that with the uh, with with domestic and regional travel being open, uh, our uh, operators and businesses will see uh, slightly better business uh, in the summer than they did even last year. Right. But if you worked then in the tourism industry, if that's how you made your living, do you think the, the jobs are coming back? Not immediately. And, and we need to remember that this is an industry which has been decimated over the past 15 months. Uh, there, there are still a lot of fixed expenses which keep, uh, you know, which need to be paid. Property taxes, notices are coming anytime soon, uh, if not already being delivered. Uh, that, that's a huge expense. Insurance, utility bills. So, uh, and, and even with this, things will just not turn overnight. And two months don't make a, a year. You know, yes, uh, there will be certain sections of our tourism economy which, which will have a slightly better summer than the others. But even in those cases, July and August is only two months out of 12. Uh, so there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Our industry still is in desperate need of continued help and support. But but we are we are optimistic and cautiously positive. All right. Well, that's better than it used to be, right? Better than it was a couple months ago. Each day we get, keeps getting better. That's what we like to hear. All right. Thank you so much for your time this morning.
Thank you for having me again. Have that a great is, day. You too. That's Vivek Sharma, chair of the Tourism Industry Association of BC. Cautiously optimistic certainly seems to be the two watchwords there. This is Mornings with Simi. So we just talked to the Tourism Industry Association of BC and the two watchwords we heard there, cautiously optimistic, still have a ways to go in terms of getting everybody back to work. But what about Vancouver business overall? How are they feeling about you know the next little while given our restart plan? Joining us now is Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade and part of the Premier's Economic Recovery Task Force. Good morning, Bridget. Good morning, Simi. So what did you think about what we heard yesterday? Are are businesses also cautiously optimistic? I think that's a good buzzword um, to describe it. I think a lot of people, whether they're individuals or in business yesterday, were doing a bit of a happy dance. You know, for weeks now, we have been asking for a plan. Um, That amount of clarity that was provided yesterday in detail is incredibly helpful for businesses. While there isn't certainty about what the next few months are going to hold and how it will unfold, there are markers in place now where businesses can can plan and there's milestones that they can work towards. And that gives a level of confidence that we just haven't had in so very long. So was there enough detail provided then that businesses can say, okay, I now know what I need to do? Well, first of all, I think we do need to remember that BC has been in a much better position than other jurisdictions and other provinces particularly. We haven't had lots of closures where other provinces had. So we're coming from a better place and more strength. And the level of detail, there was quite a bit of detail in that. I mean, there are unknowns around uh, limits and gatherings and things like that. And this all assumes that we can hit those markers around vaccination rates and around falling cases and hospitalization. And as the summer goes on, there will be more clarity provided. And the government did make a commitment that they will continue to engage with associations like us in industry and business to be able to have that two-way communication to provide even more clarity than was provided yesterday. Okay, so is there is there about to be like a hiring spree? Are people going to start getting those calls potentially from their employers? Well, that really is one of the, I think, most difficult things for business now that, you know, we are all in planning stages for reopening, but, you know, there's going to be real pent-up demand here. And whether we're talking about tourism, and I heard Vivek just before me, and, and you know, I think one of the things we need to know is this pent-up demand um, is is wonderful, but it also causes a lot of problems. We have a member who just recently emailed us to talk, and they're in the bike business, talking about the pent-up demand and not being able to service customers. And that's a real issue because people then get frustrated. But the same around the hiring. Many people have moved on in accommodation or whether it's, you know, food or tourism or travel or in live events and culture and recreation. And so it is a bit of a scramble now to get those people back. Good news for young people. I know I've got some young kids in my family who are looking for work. But, you know, remember that it does take time to get people onboarded or to retrain them and to recruit them. And so it is going to be a bit of a scramble over the next few weeks to get people back in place. But it's time, I guess, to just start thinking about that, right? Like dusting off those cobwebs and, you know, the next, I guess, couple of months will really figure help bigger businesses figure out how they're going to look at the future or if they're going to make it now. 
and that's a really great point because we're not going to go back to what was before the pandemic and what we're going to create. I know this, the other buzzword is the new normal, but you know, a lot of uh, businesses are going to be living in a hybrid world for some time. And so being able to plan for that is incredibly challenging, but this is, this is great news. You know, we lost nearly 4,500 businesses in greater Vancouver at last count since before the pandemic. Some of those will never come back and we could lose some still through these uh, these months as we're transitioning out of the pandemic. But there is good news that, that businesses can start planning and, and can really understand the milestones that, that need to be hit as they start to reopen or open up again. You said 4,500 businesses. Like, do we know which sectors? Was that across the board? Uh, across the board, but most definitely um, most impacted would be in food, uh, accommodation, uh, culture and recreation, where there just has been a complete uh, shutdown for many of those businesses. A lot of other businesses were able to hang on and through government support for sure, or to be able to open somewhat and to offer some digital offerings. But there are some businesses that just weren't able to, and that is really, really unfortunate. Okay, so then moving ahead, then what is your advice to people? I mean, I I think people tend, Bridget, to get a little impatient, right? They see that plan. They're like, I want everything right now. Well, I, I couldn't say it enough, and I've heard your other guests this morning say, it, get registered, get vaccinated, because that is key to this plan being successful, and to realize that, you know, it is a gradual reopening, especially in the next, I'd say, three weeks or so as we get to that June 15th marker, and, you know, to, to do the things that we have been doing, to wear masks, and for businesses, it's to start planning for a better last half of June and for an, a, a bigger expansion in July. And I'm hoping by the time we get to Canada Day that we're in a much better place and we have the summer that we all so desperately want. All right. We all hope that. Bridget, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Cindy. Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade, also part of the Premier's Economic Recovery Task Force. So businesses have a huge challenge in the months ahead as if the last 15 months haven't already been a huge challenge, right? But now comes the real test. Can you reopen? Can you ramp things back up? What does that even look like? And what kind of support will there be from the government to help you get fully back on your feet? That's a big question, right? This is Mornings with Simi. Obviously, a lot of focus today on BC's Restart Plan 2.0 and what it means for businesses and employees and industries out there across our province. A lot of businesses really struggled, many of them closed. We were just talking to Bridget Anderson about that. But is this the beginning of getting people back to work? And what do people need to know about their workplaces. Joining us now to talk more about that is Ravi Kalon, our Minister of Jobs, Economic Recovery and Innovation. Uh, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sydney. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about the positives here. First of all, looking ahead to people being back in the workplace, what should businesses be aiming for? Well, we uh, announced uh, part of the uh, the uh, rollout plan yesterday that uh, we're lifting the order around uh, employers um, requiring their employees to come back. So now there can be a gradual return to the workplace. Uh, obviously, every phase, uh, it will ramp up. Uh, and, uh, and so now we know prior to the circuit breaker that many employers had safety plans in place so that their workers could come in and work in, in a safe way uh, within their safety plans. And so those safety plans will be uh, effective again as of yesterday. Um, and it'll be a challenge, you know. I, there's a lot of environments where people haven't been 
uh, back to work for over a year and there's a lot of anxiety. So we suspect it'll be a gradual, thoughtful process uh, over the coming weeks. Okay, so aiming though for, I saw on the list, like the, the part four, where it would be after September 7th, everyone back to work. Now, are there any safety plans that would be required at that point? Uh, well, there's safety plans in place now, and it will evolve. We know that uh, uh, in the coming weeks, uh, we're going to be engaging with many of the uh, business associations to talk about how those safety plans can evolve. But it depends on, uh, obviously, case counts and vaccination rates. As those continue, the vaccination rates continue to rise and case counts continue to drop, we're going to see um, more of gradual opening and more people returning to work. And safety plans will be adjusted, but our hope is, uh, for September 7th, as we projected, uh, stage four, that we'll be able to return back to work in, uh, you know, what was pre-pandemic uh, um, uh, style of, uh, uh, of uh, opening in workplaces. So masks being uh, not mandatory and being optional for those who choose to wear them. Uh, let's talk as well about supports for businesses, because as we were just talking about with our last couple of guests, like there's still going to be some industries here that will struggle to find their footing. What can they expect from the government in terms of assistance moving forward, even as things are getting back to normal? Well, we have the highest per capita supports in the country right now for people and businesses. Uh, and so there's still grants available. You know, the federal government uh, went the route of providing uh, low interest loans to businesses. But we decided to go to giving direct grants that were non-repayable because we knew that uh, cash injection is what they needed and not more loans. Um, we do have other programs in place. There's tax credits for hiring and rehiring employees which I know is going to be very important. Uh, Certainly for the restaurant industry, the 25% cut on uh, liquor pricing, uh, which now we announce is going to be permanent, is going to help a huge way uh, as, uh, as many restaurants start scaling up their operations as well. And what about the tourism industry? Because it is still going to be, what, BC only for a little while, then Canada only. Like, they're still going to need some help. Uh, well, right now, uh, part of the plan is people can travel within their health zones, uh, and we encourage people to travel within their zones and discover their own backyard. Uh, you know, book at the local resort for a week if you if you if you can, uh, because we're going to need to continue to support our local tourism uh, until we can see the borders open up and and uh, safely being able to welcome uh, the world again. But there is uh, there is a deep desire for people to get out of their ho- houses and and discover British Columbia. And so we do think as we move between the phases, that there will be a significant uptake in uh, in tourism opportunities here in BC. So you're saying right now people can and should consider booking a place in BC to go on vacation this summer? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that uh, this uh, in this phase, you can book a place, uh, a campground within your health zone uh, for the next three weeks. Uh, and in the next phase, uh, we're opening up for people to travel within BC. So projected in the middle of uh, June for people to be able to book uh, an accommodation uh, anywhere in BC with their families. And, and certainly our hope is, uh, you know, post-July that uh, the people across Canada can even come and, and uh, visit British Columbia and, and enjoy the beauty that we have here. Now, I know that for a lot of hotels and for the tourism industry, a lot of that will focus on International tourism, you know, getting conferences back, conventions, that kind of thing. H- have you thought about that? Like how BC is going to approach that situation in the future? 
Well, it's in the, the plan as well that we uh, are hoping that uh, post-September 7th that we're able to have um, conferences and gatherings. Uh, but of course, the big variable um, that everyone knows is uh, the, the guests and the, and, and the people from all over the world that we want to invite here. And, and we know that BC and in Canada now, we've actually surpassed most jurisdictions in the world for percentage of people having their first dose of vaccination. And many parts of the world uh, are not there yet. And so we're going to continue to watch over the summer how that, uh, that conversation evolved. Uh, we know there's a huge conversation happening around uh, uh, vaccine passports. Uh, it's growing. Uh, you know, European countries are heading that direction. We've heard from the U.S. as well. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if we see that coming to, uh, to North America. Is that something that's being discussed right now within the government about how to deal with the issue of vaccine passports? Well, I know that uh, all the premiers uh, have been having conversations with the prime minister about how uh, it is that the federal government is going to uh, welcome people when it's safe to do so. Uh, and so the conversation is evolving, but it's very much in the, in the hands of the federal government at this point. All right, more to come. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me, Simi. That's r- right. That's Ravi Kalan, BC's Minister of Jobs, Economic Recovery and Innovation. So you can start planning for your you know, employees to come back to work or for you getting back to your workplace if that's what you want. And if you're a boss who thought, oh, geez, okay, I guess we're going to have to figure out who wants to do what, whether people want to come back, how many days a week they want to come back. Well, now's the time to start making those plans. This is Mornings with Simi. In the last few days, even the last week, I would say, there's been more talk, more pressure about what is going to happen with the Canada-U.S. border and when that is going to reopen. Uh, There's been some discussion in Canada at the highest levels about, okay, we'd better start talking about this. But what about on the U.S. side? Well, for more on that, we're joined now by Len Saunders, who's an immigration lawyer in Blaine, Washington. Len, thanks for being back with us. No problem. How are you, Simi? I'm good, thank you. So what are you hearing about this? Well, I finally heard good news yesterday. So apparently, uh, Customs and Border Protection headquarters in Washington, D.C. had a big conference call with all the local ports of entry here. I guess it was nationwide. And what I heard through my sources is is that the American government is now going to fully reopen the U.S. border on June 22nd, regardless of what the Canadian government decides to do. Okay, that's not that far away. What would that mean for Canadians? Well, the good news is Canadians can now come, at least as of June 22nd, if this is correct. They can go to Point Roberts. They can come down to Blaine with no restrictions. So they don't have to fly like everyone's been using this loophole, so they can drive their vehicles into the U.S. However, it's really meaningless if Canadians have to go north and do the 14-day quarantine. So hopefully this puts some pressure on the Canadian government to open up the, up the Canadian border so at least Canadians can go back and forth without these horrible restrictions. Okay, and so in your sources, and what are you hearing then? Is this a way to pressure the Canadian government? Because it feels like they have been dragging their feet on this. Oh, absolutely. So I think the Americans have lost patience, and they're just like, we're now going to reopen the Canadians can do what they want to do. So I think this is definitely a pressure tactic. When the news gets out that, you know, the border is going to be reopened to any Canadian wanting to enter the U.S. When potentially do you think, from what you've heard from your sources, could this be made public? Oh, it's got to be any day now. So for them to do such a big announcement 
internally within Customs and Border Protection, there's got to be a statement coming out, I'm going to guess within the next week or so. I can't imagine the American government is going to wait until the last day and say, okay, it's closed today, it's open tomorrow. So I think we will get some kind of notice ahead of time. And I think that is when the Canadian government is going to have to come up with some kind of plan, some kind of unilateral opening, not just opening just the American border only. Right. It would, I guess it would also, you know, behoove the American side to have this leak out a little early. Oh, absolutely. So, I, you know, I think it gives the Canadian government time to actually decide what to do, because I can't imagine the American border fully reopening and the Canadian government saying, oh, we're still closed and for another 30 days and 30 days. I didn't expect it to happen this soon. I was expecting sometime in the fall. So I'm delighted. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Keep us posted, Len. I will do. Thanks, Simi. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. That's Len Saunders, immigration lawyer in Blaine, Washington. You've heard him talk often about immigration issues, border issues. Well, he's claiming this morning that his sources have told him that customs and border enforcement in the United States have heard and are preparing for border reopening on the U.S. side. So two Canadians. Canadians would be welcomed down in the United States as of June 22nd. Is that to put pressure on the Canadian government to do something? Lawmakers in the United States and others have been pressuring the Canadian government to say, listen, sit down with us and talk about this. Let's talk about reopening the border. Is this the push that the Trudeau government will finally get that message? And are you ready for the American border to reopen with Canada? Email me, Simi at CKNW.com. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, it is that time of year where not only are we seeing them, but we're hearing a lot of stories about bears. We know that the trails on Mount Front were closed after a bear swiped at a hiker's leg on Friday. That's pretty unusual behavior. For more on that, we're joined now by our contributor, Raji Sohal. Good morning, Raji. Hi, Simi. Yeah, it is unusual behavior. Um, The trails have just been reopened and they've been analyzed for tracks uh, by North Shore Rescue and they've tried to figure out what happened. They had Ellie Lamb on a call after the bear swiped at a hiker and Ellie's an instructor on bear behavior and body language. She's been studying it for now decades. She's the director of the North Shore Black Bear Society and she said the bear was actually a young one. And I was aware of this bear last year. I did write uh, and was interviewed about a pushy bear. And this would be, in my opinion, the same bear. If he had the lesson last year, he probably wouldn't have been so adamant about pushing people, potentially trying to get them out of his out of his uh, area that he lives. But we have to understand there's always a backstory with these animals. They're reasonable animals and they never do things flippantly. They do things from a place of history, teaching and personality, and it all comes together. So what happened to him? Why would, why was he unwilling to coexist comfortably with people? And why was, what was he upset about? And that was really important to me to find out. So, Raji, what does she mean when she says that coexist comfortably? Are we supposed to be doing that with bears? Yeah, that's an interesting point, Simi. Um, The old advice used to be that if there's a bear around, that the human should be aggressive, be big, antagonize the bear, basically scare it out of your territory. Um, what, What Ellie's talking about there is that the bear was trying to maintain his area where he lives. And she also talked about the lesson, like he wasn't getting the lesson. 
And I asked her about that. And she said the lesson would be one given over time by hikers and whomever would encounter the bear, which is like literally throwing rocks at the bear. Because there's so many people bears. going through there, chasing him out and scaring him and running through his area, um, kind of not knowingly that they're actually not showing a lot of uh, quietness and gentleness with him, but they are enjoying their recreation. And this isn't um, putting anyone down for doing that. It's just we need to understand these animals past what eventually occurred. Okay, so we need to essentially rethink our relationship then with bears. Yeah, she says that sharing that outdoor space with bears, we need to do it in a way that doesn't stress them out, that doesn't have them always on alert. You know, I've run into a bear and um, that was when I had the old advice of that you should be loud and scare it and whatever. But I got the sense immediately that I don't even, I don't even know how to describe it, but I just understood that I should just go away quietly, go away. Don't challenge it. Don't scare it. And so I did that and it was a close encounter and I just literally walked away and it never came at me. It didn't charge at me, nothing like that. I didn't, I didn't feel scared. And Ellie, of course, she's highly experienced. She's been studying bears for a really long time. She's against the, you know, a lot of people tend to anthropomorphize bears, right? And she wants to be clear that respecting bears does not mean coddling them, right? Like do not approach the bear ever. They're wildlife. You need to just let them be bears. One thing is that we're willing to kind of close an area down to kill a bear, but we're we're not willing to close an area down for them to live. And so that area that he actually considers his home is an area that perhaps conservation, if it was within their ability to do it, to close that area down for a period of time while that bear, uh, you know, is in that area. We hear a lot about that on the North Shore, don't we, Raji? And that is like you guys, if anybody who lives on the North Shore, you know what you're supposed to do. The problem is not everybody does it. Yeah. And, you know, I will be honest, I've been around areas where I've known that there were bears and I didn't carry bear spray. And bear spray is such an effective deterrent. And it, it's that lesson, she said, that we need to teach bears to stay away from us with. And, you know, over 50% of bear encounters in BC involve a dog. So she said that whenever you're in an area where there might be bears, your dog really needs to be unleashed. Now, I don't know about you, but when I've been hiking and I see dogs, like to my mind, very few of them are even on leash. A lot of reasons that's why people do those trails, though, because they're off-leash trails and their dog can run free. Yeah, uh, but those encounters can leave the owner, the human, in a very compromised position, especially if the dog feels threatened by the bear. Now, the dog doesn't have the same kind of training that uh, we all have heard from Ellie. So that dog could do any number of things that would agitate the bear, make it feel challenged, and then put the human between the dog and the bear. Right. Okay. So just keep doing like, you really do have to listen and pay attention, right? Especially when it comes to your garbage and fruit trees and all that other information. Yeah. Interestingly, she told me that food is not the number one motivator for a bear approaching. Um, Of course, like we can all do our best to keep food, you know, locked away and that kind of thing. But um, inevitably, there's always a grain of rice that's still out. So the bear might might come. But she said people need to be stern in using those detractors and and use bear spray and literally like pelt the the bear with, you know, small rocks. If if it felt like if you felt, you know, really intimidated, if the bear was in a dangerous situation with you. 
Right. Now, we were talking about the North Shore, but honestly, did you see that video the other day about the bear walking, the family walking around Fleetwood in Surrey? Oh, yeah. I was shocked. I thought, Fleetwood? You've got to be kidding me. I think of this as a, like, you know, up in the Westwood Plateau in the North Shore. That's where you see these bears. But feels like lately it's the one in almost downtown Vancouver and family yeah, walking around in Fleetwood. Yeah. Yeah. It's remarkable. Well, it's just a reminder of, like, where we yes. live. We are really in the center of so much wildlife. A good thing to keep in mind when people go you know, into the back country, too. Absolutely. Good advice. Thanks, Raji. Thanks, Simi.